Good morning, Heartland. I'm thankful that you're here today. Welcome, everyone. Thankful for the rain that we've got. Been dry. Alicia was saying how it's just not, it doesn't feel like spring until we get some rain and the brown grass starts turning green. Well, I see a little bit of green grass, but she's right. It doesn't feel like new growth, new spring weather until we see more green, at least, than we've seen so far. Scripture this morning comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. We covered a little bit of this last week, uh, but we'll go ahead and, and kind of pick up where we left off. It says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these forty years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His command. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranate, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where rocks are iron and you can dig, dig copper out of the hills. So last week we read much of this passage and we talked about how the desert was the context where the Israelites learned discipline. And we talked about how in the New Testament the desert was where repentance took place. The desert was the place to turn your heart from sin, from what you were like before, towards God. For some people it worked great, for others it didn't. Some people fell away. Today, we continue to talk about the discipline of God. And if you are undergoing any type of hardship today, any kind of hardship, whatever it is, I encourage you to look for God's discipline within that hardship. Whatever trial you're facing that is testing your resolve, your strength, your faith, your hope, whatever it may be, as we'll see today, that's God's discipline. And it's not fun going through discipline, but we'll see that it's for your own good and that it's a sign of God's love, this hardship. Okay? That's hard for us to, to fathom, that something difficult for us comes from a loving God. If you follow along in your own Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 5 through 11. There's going to be our primary scripture today. If you're experiencing any kind of hardship, I would encourage you to pay attention to this scripture. Let this scripture be your guide in the desert. 
and let it shape your attitude. So here's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. The Hebrew writer writes, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as son. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as son. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirit and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, amen, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The Christians here that the Hebrew writer is addressing are obviously going through some kind of hardship, some kind of persecution. And what does the Hebrew writer do but to go to Scripture for encouragement? He goes to their Scripture, to Proverbs chapter 3, which says, The Lord disciplines those whom He loves just like a good father disciplines his son that he loves. The word discipline occurs ten times in these seven verses. And in verse 7, he says that you need to endure your hardship as a discipline. That means whatever your hardship is, whether it is challenges within your marriage, challenges within your family as a parent, health issues, challenges within the church, any of those hardships you can consider as God disciplining you. So, a couple things this morning for you to consider as you may be undergoing hardship. And if you haven't really experienced much hardship yet in your life, consider what Jesus said in in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, "You in this world, you will experience trouble. That's a promise of God right there. You will experience trouble. Now, that's not something that we post outside on a church sign, but nevertheless, that is a promise of God. You will experience trouble. So, a couple things this morning, two or three things to keep in mind as we undergo hardship in this world. The first thing to keep in mind is that your hardship is a sign of God's presence. Not God's absence. The sign of God's presence. Now, this may be the most difficult thing when we undergo undergo hardship. Because we have the, the tendency to think, well, God has abandoned us. He doesn't care about me. Or maybe even what's more accurate is we think God is still there, but He hates us. Because He's allowing us to suffer. This was the attitude of the Israelites in the desert. Maybe you recall when the Israelites were in the desert, they spent 
They sent these seven spies into the promised land, right? To scope it out. See what kind of land it was. See what kind of people there were there. And the report that these spies brought back kind of put some fear into the people. Because, I mean, indeed, the land was flowing with milk and honey. It was good land. But there were also mighty warriors in the land and fortified, impressive cities. So it left the people very unnerved. And the people lost heart. They were discouraged. So Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 26, says concerning these Israelites, he says, You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So He brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. That's what the Israelites thought. They thought the Lord must hate us. He brought us out here to destroy us. See, they were shaking their fists at God. When when things weren't going right in their lives, they were mad at God. So in verse 32, Moses says to these people, You did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. Moses says, this whole time, God has clearly been with us. You've seen Him in the fire and in the cloud. He's been guiding your steps, leading you, saving you, redeeming you, providing for you and feeding you. Yet you're interpreting this experience as God hating you. All the while, Moses is interpreting these experiences as God loving them. So Moses is clearly frustrated. He thinks that they should see God's love. Which brings me to the next point. God uh, not only shows His presence in hardship, but His love as well. Discipline is a sign of God's love. You know, in the mind of a child, it can be difficult to understand the parent's intention within discipline, right? I mean, most teenagers, in fact, think that the parent's sole purpose in life is to dash all their hopes and dreams, right? And to make their lives completely miserable. That's what a lot of teenagers think. But what kind of a parent gives their child everything she wants whenever she wants it? Is that really love? Is that keeping the child's best interest in mind? So just like you loving parents are willing to be misunderstood for a time in order for your children to do well in the future, in order for them to grow and mature, so God is willing to to be misunderstood for a season in order for you to do well in the future, in order for you to grow and mature. God is for you. He's on your side and He knows what's best. We just have to trust that. Like the Israelites had an issue doing. We've got to trust. You know, we respect our Father's discipline because we owe to our Father, our physical lives. We owe it to Him. Our physical, because, because of our Father, we are here physically. 
So how much more should we submit to our spiritual father's discipline whom we owe our eternal spiritual life? Seems like a no-brainer. Consider this. Maybe you've heard this before. The pain of regret is far worse than the pain of discipline. You discipline your children so that they might not make regretful decisions later on in life, right? So it might be difficult. It might be a challenge to discipline your kids, but you know it's what's best for them because they might make regretful decisions in the future. So the pain of discipline now is always better than the pain of regret later. So God's discipline is a sign of His presence, not His absence. It's a sign of His love, not His hate. And thirdly, it's also a sign of your future holiness, righteousness, and peace. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 again. says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest. Okay, a harvest. Not just like a little bit. Not a thimbleful, but a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been framed by it. Now, oftentimes, we think that discipline only occurs after we've done something wrong. And it's punishment, right? Well, the word that the Hebrew writer uses for trained is the same word that he would use for an athlete who goes under who undergoes training for his event. It's about it's not about punishment necessarily. It's about achieving a goal. It's about bearing fruit. Okay, just as an athlete is trained in the context of the gym or the weight room or the track, so a disciple is disciplined in the context of hardship. Like the gym, the weight room, hardship, what it is. It's about bearing fruit, achieving a goal which is the harvest of righteousness and peace in the future. It's about God the gardener, right? Molding trees and vines how he wants them to grow. Trees and vines, they undergo a lot of discipline in the garden. Okay? Especially olive trees and grapevines, which were uh, present in Jesus' day all around Israel. They're molded in ways because the gardener is concerned about the quality of fruit. That's what the gardener is concerned with. So olive trees, for example, they're pruned every year because these shoots shoot out of an olive tree base every year. This is an olive tree right here. Um, And it might need a little bit of pruning up in the top, but there's not many shoots at the bottom. And so the gardener will prune all these shoots off the olive tree. And one of the main reasons for that is because an olive tree needs a lot of sun. And sunlight needs to get into the middle of that tree 
in order for it to flourish. And so the gardener will, will trim back. There might be a hundred olive shoots on this tree. And he'll trim away all of them, but maybe two or three. So that light can enter inside of this tree. And so that the tree can focus its energy on just those two or three shoots. Because then, there might be less olives, but there'll be more quality in those few olives. A grapevine is similar. If there is one thing the the gardener can do to ensure the quality of the grapes, the end product, is pruning the vine every year. And that takes a lot of work in a vineyard, pruning the vine. And, you know, it seems counterintuitive to chop off part of the plant. You know, that seems like you're doing a lot of damage on the plant, right? But ultimately, it bears more quality fruit in the future. So pruning, hardship, God's discipline normally comes after we bear fruit. It's not punishment, but it's after we bear fruit so we can bear even more fruit, more quality fruit. Okay? If you don't believe me, listen to my friend Stefano, who probably explains it a little better. Hi, I'm Stefano Watson, owner of Avio Vineyards in Sutter Creek, California. Uh, this time of year, we're busy pruning the vineyard. And uh, in terms of winemaking, the pruning really is the most important part of the winemaking process. Because what we do in the vineyard here at the beginning of the year is, has huge ramifications on the quality of the wine that we're making. So what I want to start off first with is really defining what uh, the parts of the grapevine of what we've got. We've got the, the trunk. And then we've got the cordons, and there's really, you know, or the arms. And there's, on this system, there are two arms because it's a dual cordon trellis system. Coming out of the cordon then are the spurs. And then from the spurs, we have the canes. And that's where the grapes come off of, is on the canes each year. And so what we're doing now is grapes only come off of second year wood, we call it. So we have to prune back last year's wood so we can get new grapes on this right now. So what we're looking for off of each spur is to prune down to one cane and on each cane we prune to two buds. Each bud will then grow into a cane itself and each cane then has two clusters. Alright, so here's the spur and so from last year, this is last year's wood or the year before last and then where we pruned, we wound up getting one cane coming off of here, which was originally was a bud, and then this one here. So this year, we want to go down to one cane. We prune there, and there's one bud at the base and one bud here, and we prune here. Then this bud will turn out to be a brand new cane for this year, and one will come off here at the base and come on up, and each cane will produce two clusters of grapes. So that pretty much wraps up on how what we do for uh, pruning in the vineyard. Um, as I said, you know the work that we do out here really is about the quality of the wine that we make later on. Uh, we have 30 acres of grape here, a little over 12,000 vines. Uh, you can see it takes a little bit of thought and a little bit of process to get it done. It takes on average about 500 man hours to prune the entire vineyard.
So thank you very much. This is Stefano with Avio Vineyards. Thank you, Stefano. Thank you for choosing a windy day to do your video as well. So you probably noticed how Stefano said that um, what they do early on by pruning the vineyard is the most important thing that they can do in order to have quality end product, right? And you probably also noticed, maybe you didn't notice, but there were all those shoots. They just kind of went everywhere. They were sprawling. It was kind of a mess. It kind of looked ugly. And then after the entire vineyard is clean, uh, is pruned, everything is nice and clean, uh, nice and orderly, trim and tidy. Okay, some of us um, went to Tallgrass Christian Camp yesterday, and we did a lot of this. Okay, we cleaned up all the old brush, we put it in piles, and it went from looking really kind of gross with all this underbrush going everywhere, we got it all clean, ready to go. Okay? So when the pruning is complete, you got this nice, neat vineyard. And it's ready to go. It's ready to start bearing fruit. It's ready to get to work, start growing and maturing and bearing fruit. That only comes after the pruning. So John chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. Some of you saw this coming. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears, oh no, silt. That bears no fruit. How how did I do that? While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean. Notice that he says you are clean. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So, I want you to pay attention to that word clean here. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. That means that the vines have been pruned and you are ready to grow. You're ready to get started. Man, there's going to be a harvest of righteousness, holiness, and peace. You're clean and ready to go because of the word I have spoken to you. So let me just encourage you. How are you doing on your Bible reading? Is it pruning you? Is it making you clean, ready to grow and bear fruit? The disciples, Jesus says, who he's talking to, they've been pruned. They're ready to grow and bear fruit. It's not an easy thing to be pruned not an easy thing to have damage done to the, to the plant, to the vine. Okay, that's difficult. Not pleasant now, but it's worth it later on, as long as we remain in Jesus. And that's, what, that's why Jesus urged them to remain in Jesus, because that's hard to do, because it's hard to feel God's presence. It's hard to feel God's love. And it's hard to think about what this is doing for us in the future. So Jesus urges, he says, you've got to remain in me. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith like the Israelites did in the desert. You've got to remain in me. Trust me. Trust me. And unlike a grapevine, 
We have a choice to remain in Jesus or fall away. Removing ourselves from the relationship that we have with Jesus. For some, hardship, God's discipline, times of trouble and trial force us to fall away. We lose our relationship with Jesus. For others of us, it makes us stronger. It makes us to bear even more fruit than we have in the past. Those people are the ones who can see God's presence, God's love, and our future righteousness. So my encouragement for you today is to remain in Jesus. Remain in Him. If you uh, if you read the publication, the Christian Chronicle, some of you probably subscribe to that. Subscribe to that. Uh, you probably saw this article uh, by Jackie Halstead, and Jackie Halstead shares her times of hardship and what they did for her. And I'm just going to share her article with you. She says, "Pain often is the best teacher." We are most open to God's teaching when our hearts are broken. One of the most important lessons I learned about my relationship with God was in the aftermath of losing a baby in stillbirth. How could God let this happen to me, a faithful servant? I chose to punish God by turning away from Him. But after three years of hanging on to my anger... I realized in my loneliness that having a relationship with God was more important than understanding God's ways. I learned that the only thing worse than going through the loss of my baby was going through it without God. I learned to cling to God. A few years later, my husband was working with a church that became embroiled in a political battle. I watched as my husband and the other minister were mistreated and wounded. The church was in turmoil. I could not understand why God did not intervene. So many good people were being hurt. But in my struggle, I remembered the lesson I had learned after the loss of our baby. I remembered to cling to God. He is faithful to give us what we need to endure. Jackie goes on to explain explain some more of her hardships. And then she says, During my struggles, I began to learn to trust God. I don't know why He allowed these terrible things to happen. What I do know is that what I gained during these times was much more than what I lost. I learned to pray fuller and deeper than I had before. I learned to lean into God's loving embrace. I learned that despite the external chaos of my life, I can have internal peace. A peace that transcends understanding. A peace that only God can give. The questions we ask of God remain. And part of us yearns to have every situation wrapped up in a neat little bow. But we accept that God is God and we are not. His ways are above our ways. We learn to be content in every circumstance. What I do know is that what I gained during these times was much more than what I lost. When I wrestle with the pain and hurt in this world, I cling to the fact that God 
came to earth to show us how to live in this hurting world and serve as his instrument of love. Jesus urged his disciples to remain in him. And that's what I urge you to do this morning. It's not pleasant going through hardship at the time, but it leads to a harvest of righteousness, peace, and holiness. Cling to God. Cling to God. Cling to him who came to earth and was abused and suffered and was rejected and ultimately killed. Cling to him who knows what it's like to suffer in this broken, cruel world. And cling to him who knows what it's like to triumph by trusting in God's will. Jesus didn't suffer for nothing. There was a purpose in it. There was discipline. There was training. And the fruit that he bore was for us. The fruit that he bore was reconciliation between God and mankind. It was your forgiveness. That was the fruit of his suffering, of Jesus' hardship. So if you're not a Christian today, let me just tell you, Christianity is not for the faint of heart. It's not an easy thing. You will experience trouble. You will experience hardship. But it's for your own good. And there's no better life than the life lived with God guiding your steps. It won't be easy, but in the future, it will be a harvest of righteousness and peace. And you can trust in God because He's been there, done that. He's suffered. He's bled and died for you so that you can live. Maybe you are a Christian today and, man, you're just having a hard time trusting God through your hardship. Maybe you feel like God has abandoned you. Maybe you feel like God hates you. Maybe you don't see God's love. Maybe it's, you know, you can't see through your clouded vision your future holiness and righteousness and peace that will come by remaining in Jesus today, sticking it out. So if that's you, man, you are in the right place right now. One of the biggest tricks the devil plays on you is that you're going through this alone. There's nothing worse than thinking you're alone in your hardship because that is absolutely false. That is a lie that the devil tells you. You are not alone. You have your brothers and sisters here who have undergone similar things, who want to embrace you with love and pray for you. In fact, let me just pray for you right now. For those of you who are undergoing hardship, it's hard, it's difficult. That's why it's called hardship. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we come to you as people of gratitude because you know you are a good God. But Father, sometimes in this world we get lost. We wander in the desert. And we shake our fists because we don't understand. We don't feel your presence. We don't see love. We just see our pain. Father, for those people that are experiencing this today, 
Father, I just pray that they would feel your presence, not your absence, and that they would know that you know what's best, that you care for them, and that you love them, and that ultimately their hardship will be their righteousness, will be their growth and their maturity, and ultimately they will be able to bear fruit because of what they have learned today and right now. And we know that bearing fruit glorifies You, Father, and that You desire quality. And we know that You are working on it to form us into a quality tree, a quality fruit, because that glorifies You. So, Father, just be with those people today. Be with the body of Christ here to be a a shoulder to lean on and an ear and a heart to pray for these people. Father, we thank you for Jesus who came to earth and experienced all kinds of hardships and abuse and rejection. And we thank you that you've been there, done that, and we can turn to you and we can trust you because you know what's best for us. Father, it's in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen. Whatever your need is, if you want to be a Christian and follow Jesus, if you are experiencing hardship and need prayers, I encourage you to come forward. Let us pray for you. Let us heal you. Let us be there for you. You can come forward now as we stand and sing.